Pop Culture Affidavit presents Commentaries for Things That Don't Need Commentaries. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Pop Culture Affidavit and the first and an occasional feature that I like to call commentaries for things that don't need commentaries. I am your host Tom Panneries uh, and today I am going to be watching a movie and talking about it as I watch it which is what you tend to do on commentary tracks. Uh, the movie in question came out in 1989 uh, which was a great great summer for movies. Uh, this one was one of the the more important ones to be released during the summer. It, it ended up uh, capping off a great summer as it as it came out a little bit later in the summer and was a uh, much-needed social commentary on the issues of the time, especially since uh, this is 1989, the end of a decade that, that became synonymous with certain excesses, and uh, this particular film lampooned those excesses and uh, satirized them in a way that, that, we, that we really needed, especially since our country was starting uh, its slide into what was a serious recession by the time uh, the very early part of the 1990s rolled around. Uh, the movie, which stars uh, Andrew McCarthy and Jonathan Silverman as two uh, up-and-coming... Uh, entry-level employees at a large insurance company who undercover a a serious amount of fraud going on within the company that they we then discover is at the hands of their own CEO uh, and and we see how the the how the CEO is part of this just kind of greater society that is, that is vapid and and really just immoral and destructive and uh, the, the two of them struggle with the idea of being uh, on the path of, 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 of kind of this path of righteousness as opposed to the path that, you know, that, that they might be going down as, as they kind of enter into this world for, for, for the better part of a weekend anyway. And the, the film, uh, appropriately, is titled uh, Weekend at Bernie's. Don't you see? Don't you see? We just uncovered a $2 million error. We're going to be heroes. We're going up the corporate ladder. It appears as if somebody's trying to defraud the company. Somebody tried to smoke it past the wrong guy. Very, very good work. How would you two like to come to my house at the beach? Love to! For Larry and Richard. How are you? This is a place to die for. You have to kill them, Vito. A little rusty, but it'll come back to me. What? Should we just walk in? But what they don't realize... No, we'll stand out here all weekend. Come on, we're out here. ...is while they're checking in... Forget the accident with the two guys. Take care of Lomax. Bernie Lomax will be checking out. Oh, my God. What kind of a host invites you to his house for the weekend and dies on you? I don't know. Lomax told whoever he's talking to not to kill us if he's around, right? Yeah, yeah, but Lomax is dead. He's not around anybody yeah. anymore. <laughs> I know that. You know that. Nobody else knows that. Huh? Oh! Push for it. It looks good enough. Let's go. Uh-oh. 
Doesn't anyone realize he's dead? Lomax is alive. Vito, I'm telling you, Lomax is alive. Maybe Paulie is rustier than we thought. Ooh, Bernie, you're starting to peel. We get you out of the sun, huh? at Bernie's. Are we doing it again today? Oh, absolutely. You know we are. Great. We'll see you later, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, ladies. We'll see you later. <laughs> God, is this great or what? Uh, it is very much uh, the, the Great Gatsby of the 1980s and and over the course of this commentary i'm going to talk about you know um how it really is an allegory for the end of the culture of the 80s the 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 get rich uh and and he who dies with the most toys culture that came out of out of the reagan years and uh was was sort of on its way out as as we get into uh, would would be the the more socially conscious early '90s, and also how uh, the film, you know, unfortunately because of economic cycles being what they are, and cycles of fame and fortune, and and, and what gets popular and what have you, the film holds up. The film holds up, up almost a good 25 years uh, after after it premiered in theaters. So uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a break, and when I get back, uh, I'll start the movie up. And we will watch Weekend of Bernie's. Hey everyone, Sean Engel here. And Strange Disembodied Voice here. Hey, it's good to hear from you. It's been a long time. How have you been? What have you been up to? Oh, not much. Working with other podcasters, calling around with Simon Cowell, prepping for the Mayan apocalypse. You know, the usual. Neat. Anyhow, uh, glad we got back together since the show, Just One of the Guys, is coming to a turning point, and since you were there at the beginning, I thought it'd be appropriate that you be here now. Ooh, are you finally changing formats and doing your epic coverage of the Al Mogram Opus US 1? Um, no, I'm going to start coverage of the Kyle Rayner stories in Green Lantern. And that supposedly is more impressive than a trucker who can receive CD signals through a metal plate in his head? Undoubtedly. Plus, I'm still going to be covering the ongoing saga of Guy Gardner. Mm, will he be getting a metal plate in his head which allows him to receive CD signals? No, nothing quite that ridiculous. Although the stories will involve him getting alien DNA, becoming a living weapon, and punching Nazi dinosaurs. Seriously? Yep. So all of this, yet the epic tale of a trucker who's vying to avenge his death of his brother caused by a man who sold his soul to the devil for a satanic 18 healer is just too goofy? Precisely. 
<sighs> Whatever. So where can I find out about all these changes? Lots of places. For one, you can go to www.justoneoftheguys.lipson.com to download the shows, check out the covers of the books, and leave comments on individual show postings. You can also find the show on iTunes just by searching for Just One of the Guys podcast, and you can leave a review there as well. So after you finish these books up, you'll cover US-1? Maybe. I've still got that Dallas Dynasty show with J. David Weeder to do. And Scott Gardner has approached me about doing an NFL Super Bowl podcast that he wanted to do in conjunction with the 25th anniversary of its release. It's come check it out every Friday at justoneoftheguys.libson.com. So, uh, just, uh, uh, of course, you know, one of the uh, advantages of doing a commentary is that I'm essentially doing this live. I'll be watching the movie with you, and the copy that I have is not on DVD, believe it or not. It is on VHS. It's a VHS copy of the movie that I got uh, when my college roommates and I were on an 80s kick, probably like 97, 98 or whatever. And um, I'll, uh, I've got it keyed up to where the video company logo is and uh, I will at least at the very beginning play kind of loudly the uh, studio logo with the beginning of the with the music at the beginning so you can kind of hear it and, and sync it up uh, it's the, the company that produced it was was Gladden Entertainment which I have no recollection of uh, but but I guess it's appropriate that I'm watching a movie from the 80s on VHS as that was the chosen format of the time so let me go ahead and uh, we'll get started. And uh, what I'm going to do is, of course, I'll, I'll count it down. So we're going to get started in about three, two, one. Pressing play. So I know this is coming in loud behind me I'm not going to talk too much just just so that you can sync your movie up to the to the beginning now if you don't know any of this anything about this movie it uh, it takes place in the beginning uh, in New York City and from what I can tell they actually shot the movie on location in New York which is which is actually that's pretty good because usually you get like Vancouver or Toronto, and our our two main characters here are Andrew McCarthy, who plays uh, Larry, the Oscar of the of the two, and Jonathan Silverman right here, who plays the Felix, uh, who is kind of the more uptight one. Are they're working on a, on a Saturday or a Sunday or something? Uh, because again, they they want to get ahead, and we've seen this type of movie before: Wall Street, The Secret of My Success, Staying Alive. You know, we've seen the movie where the, the people really uh, struggle with trying to get ahead. This is the best scene in the movie. If you'd like to turn the movie off at this point, you can. You've just seen the funniest part of the movie. In all honesty, if you've ever been in New York or any major city on the East Coast when it's about late August, this movie takes place around Labor Day, it's brutal. I mean, there's a reason Congress takes a vacation in August. If you've ever been in D.C. in August, it's just... it's it, it's It just feels like taint. 
Um, so, so that's um, there's a lot of physical comedy in this movie. Uh, but yeah, these guys walking down the streets of New York, and, and like I said, uh, you here we see. Uh, we'll see a little bit of a, uh, a sign that the recession is coming. Uh, they've turned the air conditioning off in the building for the weekend, uh, probably to, as a cost-cutting measure. And you know, these two guys probably just fresh out of college, 22, and like I said, the, they're going to struggle with their own principles and morals and ethics, uh, and what Bernie Lomax, their boss, has to offer in terms of. A lifestyle that is that is just very dark, and 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 I'll talk about how how uh, he really represents a sort of evil uh, that that permeates uh, you know business and, and corporate and the corporate world, especially especially one that would would come, become more and more prominent into the '80s, and, and one that we see more and more of in our modern day society. Now. Just a little bit of, of, of symbolism concerning the names of these characters. Uh, you have Richard here, who's uh, obviously named after Richard the Lionheart, the one whom Robin Hood followed. Uh, the meaning of the word Richard is brave ruler. I mean, here's somebody who's supposed to be, again, just sort of, of pure and true and brave and, 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 and obviously our hero. Larry, uh, or Lawrence... Uh, Clearly, they are they are going for a reference to the classic 1970s television show Three Company. Three's Company is Larry was the kind of sleazy guy who was really not that bad of a guy, but obviously had questionable morals. and And he's the one out of these two most likely to to stray. He's the one who's going to have the biggest challenge. There's a serious amount of realism here. If you've ever actually been around hot tar on a roof, uh, it really is this sticky. Uh, I, I admire the jobs that roofers do. And seriously, I don't think I could could work in in conditions like that, not because I'm just a pussy. Um, so these two guys, uh, again, like I said, they're they're working on the classic odd couple dynamic. But you know, Larry's the trouble one. He's the one that's most likely to stray from the path of righteousness, and we do need to know that kind of right away because they're about to discover something here that will kind of get them into the world where they want to be, in a way. Sadly, the line about Jones Beach is true. Uh, I used to work at Robert Moses when I was in college, just as adjacent to Jones Beach, and just about every July or August, we'd get hospital waste washing up on shore. It's a lyric in a Bill Joel song. So wait, this is where this is where they discover, like I said, the, the fraud um, at, at this insurance company where they work. And again, they're low-level employees, and but you know, you always need to have that moment where you break in, and and you know, you get the executive washroom, and you get the all the things that, that you joined the company for. If we were making this these days, uh, these two would have worked for I don't know, Lehman Brothers or 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 hedge fund manager, or venture capitalists, or something like that, instead of an insurance company. You may hear me occasionally sipping coffee during this. So, my apologies. So, basically, they've discovered that somebody is writing um, insurance check payouts after people have died. It's a. It's basically it's an embezzlement scheme. It's an embezzlement scheme where whoever is 
whoever is stealing money from the company here is hiding it within the company's own records uh, and what have you. Now, uh, Catherine Mary Stewart here is the actress. Uh, if you recognize her, she was in The Last Starfighter as well as a movie that I covered on the blog a couple of years ago. This is um, a great, one of my favorite kind of B-movies, uh, Night of the Comet. Great, great movie. And uh, she plays Gwen, who is who is really... Uh, she represents the purity that goes with the path of righteousness that, that, that Richard is, is trying to stay on and Larry needs to kind of be put back on. Uh, Guinevere, uh, who is the wife of King Arthur, uh, the, the name Guinevere actually means white ghost or phantom, which is applicable here. She's dressed in white in this scene, but also she's an intern. Interns are like phantoms. They're there for a little bit and then they're gone. And very often... They don't come back, or at least that was my experience. But then again, I interned in publishing and discovered that, hey, I don't want to work in publishing. I did learn how to fix a photocopier jam, so I'm the one in the building who knows how to fix the photocopier anytime it breaks down. Um, but Gwendolyn means blessed ring, and like I said, she represents purity. And you'll see that throughout the movie. You see it in the way she's dressed, you see it in the way she acts, you see it in the, fa- in the fact that you know Richard, the brave one, the true one, is... is He's attracted to her. Uh, and I guess he's old enough, or he's young enough, and she's old enough that it's not creepy. There is that odd barrier between being 22, 23, and seeing the intern who's 20, 21, but at the same time, and it's only a year or two, but it's like, you know, college and, and, and real world, and it's just very, very odd. Uh, Jonathan Silverman would show up shows up in movies here and there. Uh, he was on an NBC show called The Single Guy at one point in the 90s, uh, which aired, I want to say it, it, it premiered in 90, fall of 95 in the time slot after Friends, from what I remember. I think it might have lasted a couple of years. And it was, it was one of those attempts like Caroline in the City and 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 Victoria not Victoria's Closet Veronica's Closet and some of these other shows to really just shoot me to really get people you know into a thing Terry Kaiser who is uh, Bernie Bernie Lomax plays uh, plays this role very very well uh, he's smoking a more cigarette which I've only seen ever seen women smoke but I guess it's supposed to be sort of this sophisticated something or other, but he's basically Gordon Gecko or Gordon Gecko Light, and he plays the sort of asshole boss very, very well, as you'll see. Uh, Bernard, the name Bernard, by the way, means bold as bear, and uh, he's definitely a character who's bold and agner- arrogant, and he is he is the darkness when he is alive. You see him wearing that black suit. He is, he is dark, he is evil, and it, we'll, we'll see a little more of him. More than likely, these two are eating a Sabret hot dog. Sabret is the maker of the classic Dirty Water New York hot dog, which, while absolutely disgusting, probably toxic, and probably carrying some form of hepatitis, you still... Well, you still need to have at least once in your life. 
A dirty water hot dog, a pretzel from a cart, and probably a knish if you can find one. I used to grab a bagel from carts when I went the one summer that I interned in Manhattan. I interned at the quarter of 55th and Avenue of the, Mer- of the Americas. I used to take the E-train from Penn Station to uh, 53rd and Broadway. And I deliberately would get out of the 53rd and Broadway exit, even though it was another block and a half to walk, because I could go up and I'd be right by, uh, right across from the Ed Sullivan Theater, which was the late show David Letterman, but I'd be right in front of 1700 Broadway, which if you're unfamiliar with 1700 Broadway is where DC Comics is located, or at least it was at the time in uh, 1998. And I, I used to look up and see if I could see anything in the windows that was cool. And somebody in the East Comics office windows had that Daily Planet edition of Invasion with the headline, Earth to Aliens Drop Dead, uh, which I actually have hanging on my classroom now. So, so that, that was always cool. All right. So we're just developing the romantic subplot here in that uh, Richard has gotten a date with Gwen. And... Uh, what have you. And you, you notice how Richard's dressed like the pink shirt, the skinny tie, the suspenders. It's very like Judd Nelson and St. Elmo's, Charlie Sheen, Wall Street, like very like, I want to be the 80s guy. I want the corporate ambition. And 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 Andrew McCarthy is just, where, that looks plaid, mattress, whatever the heck that is. But it's very much like I'm my own person and I, I'm free spirit. I'm, I'm kind of the rebel character. Uh again, you know, the role that these two play in later in the movie, uh, their personalities, you know, fit, fit the way they, they dress. Alright. So right here, we, the MacGuffin kind of continues this, this, this fraud that they've discovered. They think this is going to, um, get them up the, uh, the ladder. Yet on some level, the Madras jacket with the plaid shirt just shirt just works again this is like it's like sitting it's like stepping into the office doing the deal with the devil here he's he is he is the epitome of of he who dies with the most toys wins and and this sort of you know corporate exec who just epitomized greed and and we see him head into the bathroom for a moment and no, he's not going to um, urinate or defecate. He's if you come in, if you come out, you can clearly see that he's been uh, doing a little bit of blow. Let's see the boat there. That will be important later. But yeah, Terry Kaiser is very, very good. And he he shows up every once in a while, but unfortunately. Fortunately or fortunately for him, any time he shows up in something that I've seen, a sitcom or whatever, I'm like, holy crap, it's Bernie. I mean, it's, it's, he becomes so synonymous with this role. Now, I, I say this is a modern Gatsby, or this is a Gatsby for the 80s, and, and here's why. Um, as we'll discover, what they've uncovered is... Um, Bernie's the one stealing the money. And if you remember Gatsby, Jay Gatsby, you never exactly know what business he's in. There's a lot of moving money around. There's a lot of deals being made over the phone and under the table and what have you. And you get the feeling that, that Jay Gatsby acquired his money very quick and he may have acquired it 
in not the most ethical ways. Because why work for your money when you can steal it? Why get there on the path of, of the righteous when you can step over people to get there? Andrew McCarthy, who I hadn't mentioned, is talking about what Silverman's been in. Andrew McCarthy uh, is probably the most famous person in the cast at this point, having done several movies, most notably uh, St. Louis Fire, um, Pretty in Pink, Less Than Zero, Mannequin, and he would go on to do Mannequin 2. Um, no, 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 they never made that into a trilogy. And uh, he would he would fall off a little bit, but become a, a bit of a character actor in the 90s, mainly appearing in movies like The Joy Luck Club. Now, Bernie is reaming him because he knew how to hide the money. He knew exactly where this would show up, and it's Richard here. Richard the Brave, who's brave enough to, to correct him and point out where Bernie actually screwed up. Bernie's like, well, yeah, we issue multiple checks for multiple policies as a standard practice. He's like, yeah, but, but not after they die. And it's like, oh. If you look closely, it doesn't look like that's Terry Kaiser's real hair. You know, it looks fake. And it it's I think it's maybe because he's um he's like really, really tan in this uh movie. Once you start down that dark path, boys, forever it will dominate your destiny. And here, and here's the invite. It's going to be just about Labor Day weekend. He's going to invite them out to his house on Hampton Island. Uh, they'll they'll show it. It's it's. I think it was shot. The beach scenes in this movie, or, or the majority of the rest of this movie, are shot in uh, North Carolina, probably the Outer Banks, like the Wilmington area. It's a stand-in for the Hamptons, and if you're unfamiliar with New York City. And Long Island, uh, the Hamptons are about ooh, 60, 70, 80 miles out from New York City, uh, where quite a number of very, very wealthy people have summer homes or even permanent residences, and it's usually populated in the summer by everybody from very, very famous people who are very, or, or people who are very, very rich to uh, a cadre of douchebags, guidos, and and what have you, who go out there uh, for the nightlife. So, you know, it depends on what part of the Hamptons you're, you're hanging out in, uh, but it's basically a symbolism of, like, you know, this is this is high, high society in New York, or at least that's what the Hamptons column in Newsday would always make it out to be. It's the beautiful people. It's, it's the equivalent, it's the new equivalent of East Egg and West Egg. East Egg and West Egg are on the North Shore in Nassau County. Um, that were that are still very, very rich at Great Neck and in, in, in Manhasset and like that area. Uh, but but the um, 
but the 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 playground of the rich aspect of it is 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 now out out in the Hamptons at least during the summer. Now, like I said, Bernie is Bernie is the darkness, and and of course this is the mob, and you have, uh, you have the old guard, the old criminal, and the new criminal. You have how. You know, this was the old this was the old darkness of New York and, and, and as we get through the seventies into the eighties and, and even into modern day, we have the new the new criminal, the, the people who are who are ripping off people and making money hand over fist without having to kill anybody. Whereas the mob, you know, used to you know, used to use sort of brutal force and what have you brutality to enforce their way. I understand what Vito's annoyed about. You know, I hate it when they when they give me uh, the walnut dressing instead of the raspberry vinaigrette. You know, you're at a nice restaurant. I'm, I'm sure the Vito did not tip very, very well. Uh, there's no real symbolism in any of the names of any of the mobsters. Uh, Pauly and Vito, it, it's it, it, they're just meeting a quota for the mob. The mob has to have a guy named Pauly and a guy named Vito. Polly will become very important through the rest of the film. Um, this, this Bernie's story becomes a struggle over the power of the darkness between the, the corporate, the corporate, the dark corporate man who who is who is on the rise and the, and the old guard of the mob. Um, and and yeah, they're in collusion to a certain extent, but as you'll see. Yeah, because Bernie wants these two dead because they obviously uncovered something of his. But again, he's not. He, he's Bernie has stepped into a world that he cannot control. I'm pretty sure that guy was Billy Madison. Um, that he cannot control, and and is trying to control, and so he's in over his head a, a little bit. So he's going to organize a hit. again we're seeing like I said just with Gatsby we're seeing the dark side of the American dream here's a man who is trying to hold on very very tightly to his dream as it is and he's getting careless as much as Gatsby does of course Gatsby's has to do with Daisy and 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 what have you and, and then his eventual Spoiler alert, if you haven't read The Great Gatsby, his eventual murder, what have you. But here... Here we see that he has gotten too careless as Vito's going to order Bernie's death. I'm pretty sure that the phrase he's screwing my girlfriend there was uh was looped. But uh but she again the the the, the world of, of sin that this man is in and and again the arrogance, the carelessness, you know, the fact that, that he would he would he would Take the woman away from from the the one man who has more 
power than him or who, who can who can destroy him. Uh, Jaime Sunan. I, I there's a great blog I follow every once in a while. It's a scout. It's a scout, a location scout, and he does this whole thing about what's been filmed in New York, and he shows you like locations how they are now and how they were in certain movies and what have you. And he's done features on movies like Ghostbusters and whatnot. And I've always wondered, like, if he went back and looked for Jaime's Hunan. Uh, but I love the the genuineness. Is that a is that a word? The genuineness of this date. You know, he's trying to impress her. You'll see how he's trying to impress her. But Richard is still just kind of a very nice, genuine guy. And and she's kind of the same way. You know, there's they're they're not. They're not very, very fake people. Uh, and the living situation seems pretty real. She says she lives with like five roommates, which... And, and he, he actually lives with his parents, and then McCarthy's character, Larry, lives in this roach-infested studio crap hole. Um, which is, you know, you're just starting out in New York City, you don't have a lot of money. Or if you are making a lot of money, you really can't afford much because the cost of living is a lot. And this is where... Again, he he might be true of heart. He might be brave. He might be he might be kind of a righteous guy. But he again he is misstepping, and, and he'll he'll do what he can to impress her with quote unquote making it seem like he's rich because you can afford an apartment this big in New York City. You must have a little bit of money. Of course, it's his parents' apartment. And she, he's kind of lying to her a little bit. They have Silverman playing this sort of nervous Jewish guy who, uh, you know, very typical, uh, you know, role that, that, that has been played, you know, over and over. I don't. I don't know if anybody ever called 60s retro hip, at least before uh, Mad Men, but Jonathan Silverman isn't exactly uh, Don Draper. Again, like I said, and I know I wasn't talking very much through this part of it, but Again, the irony here is that that he he impressed her with the dump. So you see how there's a purity to her. I don't want to say virginal, but because you know, for all you know that that doesn't really come into play. But but there's a purity to her that that's that's genuine, and he didn't need to impress her. But now he's gonna misstep. Now he's gonna try to. Um, Im- impress her and and Catherine Mary Stewart is is gorgeous. Uh, now of course in in this in this film with the hair and makeup they make her look a little too what my friend Jamie calls eighties hot as opposed to you know because <laughs> you know every decade has that sort of you know look to it and and you know you're you're twenty twenty five years down the line here and there's a 
hotness from back then. Uh, that, but in this case, there are there are some actresses who who transcend that, and I think she's definitely one of them. She's, you know, um, very attractive. And like I said, this this plot would work uh, very well if you said it during two thousand and thirteen. Um, I wouldn't have them working for an insurance company per se. Like I said, probably a venture capitalist or hedge funds or something, but. You could have the love story. You could have the the fact that the boss is is in with the mob or or or, or, or something to that extent, and and you know you could have that you know he's going to try to get these guys killed, and you know the sort of corporate intrigue and and what have you, uh, because of the fact that like I said, it's 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 been done in some way or another, or these types of characters have been done somewhere or another ever since uh, like F. Scott Fitzgerald. We all walk around our apartments and houses in our underwear in the middle of the night. I'm not kidding. And that's what I love about the realism of, of this movie. Um, and it, it, it makes sense that your parents hadn't redecorated since the late 60s. Uh, granted, my parents redecorate every six months, it seems. But, you know, it's... But there, then there are some people who who still have crap on the walls from 1974. I love how he tries to keep up the illusion as if, like, you know, that's Alfred Pennyworth and not his father. And she is not falling for it. And walks out the door. All right, now here we go to the Hampton Island, the Hamptons. Let's you know, let's just call it what it is, even though they didn't film in the Hamptons. And there, there's Bernie's boat, which is you know obviously being an insurance guy, it's called Premiums. Very Miami Vice looking shot there. I mean, uh, and what have you. Although, and and I blame Miami Vice for for a lot of the, you blame Miami Vice or give credit to Miami Vice for a lot of the flash and style of the eighties. I also blame Miami Vice for the fact that. Sometime around 1986, around 87, everybody started wearing, like, dockers. Like, seriously, I was watching, um, I think it was One Crazy Summer recently as well, and just everybody's in dockers, like, through through the 80s, the late 80s. I was in dockers through the late 80s and, and part of the early 90s. Again, Bernie's the big man. Bernie's the Jay Gatsby. He's driving the Porsche golf cart around the uh, around the island, as opposed to just you know a regular golf cart. The rest of the people, the rest of the of the of the underlings and what have you, have to take uh, a ferry to Hampton Island. Paulie rocking the Don Johnson type of look. And Bernie has a house on the beach that looks like it's... This looks like the the annex to the National Gallery in Washington, D.C. And once again, I mentioned that Bernie... Bernie is the darkness. Bernie, te- Bernie treats anyone who is beneath him like complete crap. Same thing with the gardener. 
Notice that the phone's ringing and the answering machine picks up. Pay attention. This comes in to play later. Yes, Bernie. You're on the phone there. Again, Bernie is in over his head. You wonder if he regrets it a little bit or if he's just nervous that it will uh that it'll that it'll backfire on him in in, in some way. And here we'll have some masterful stunt work as uh you know they don't want to miss their boat. They wouldn't want to miss their chance for the big time. And especially Larry, who is really, really itching for the big time here. And here we go. Brilliant, brilliant stunt work to jump on a boat that is not leaving, but is docking. But it represents how Larry... Again, Larry is very, very ambitious. He wants the high life. And he probably doesn't want to work for it either. Richard Richard probably wants it too, but again, there's something more true about Richard. Uh I have not been on a lot of ferries that were serving that had an that had a seemingly open bar like this. Most of the ferries that I ever took over to Fire Island had whiny kids and miserable uh, annoying teenagers and miserable parents and half the people were seasick but then again the Great South Bay is never not choppy so whatever yeah. again Richard the, the fact that Gwen is a constant presence through the movie is, is probably what grounds and guides Richard uh, through this test um, whereas Larry uh, Larry needs Gwen too although he doesn't realize it at least at the time like I said you have the Mafia versus the, the shady CEO, the evil CEO. Uh, the So you have the struggle for the darkness, the struggle for control, the struggle to, to prove who is, who really, who really is winning? Who really is, who is in charge? And, and the mafia is here to prove Paulie is here to prove that that Bernie, no, these upstarts, they will not run things. We still have control. We still are, we still are the power. Uh, as he's just killed Bernie, and of course, the irony that the mobster you know pretends to be a priest at this point, father. Uh, but Bernie, but this won't be the end of it. Bernie will, uh, Bernie will will continue to struggle for the, the power of the darkness, or at least in some way show how show how wrong that path is, because uh, we'll see kind of a change or Humberni, you know, after his death.
that is not the last we'll see of of Pauly, especially as we get into what is, you know, the eventual actual plot of the film. And like I said, this doesn't look like a house. This looks like a museum or some sort of office building. It is enormous. But again, that's Bernie Lomax. That's what Bernie Lomax represents. Jay Gatsby was the same way. Just the huge house. Nick lived in a house that was smaller, much smaller than, than Jay Gatsby's. He was the neighbor who just kind of lived in his shadow and, and represented us. These two represent us in a way, kind of walking into this world and being like, you know, on some level, I want this. Some of them are wondering, like, how, can, how, do you, how do you get this? Of course, Larry, who wants it so bad and really has questionable morals, walks into what is Bernie's living room, but really, doesn't this look like a lobby? I mean, look at the size of this room. I think I would have the same reaction to being in here. It's ultra-modern, ultra-80s. Um, I can imagine that within five years of this, maybe even two or three years of this, this house would be horribly outdated looking. But that's not what the 80s were about. The 80s were about now. The 80s were about who you were now. He has a Lichtenstein hanging up. I remember seeing a episode of Antiques Roadshow where uh, a woman had this painting and... who? That's not a woman. That's a Jim Ballant drawing. Oh. Where was I? Oh, Antiques Roadshow. So this woman had um, this this painting. She's like, oh, it's this ugly painting I've had and blah, blah, blah. And it was like an original Lichtenstein. It was worth like six figures or whatever. And my wife, like, my wife called me. She's like, look at this what this woman has. And she's claiming it's ugly. And my jaw dropped. And the two of us were like, I was like, oh, man, I hope it's not real. I hope it's not real. Because there are some people on Antiques Roadshow that you're like, you do not deserve to own anything like this. And and then there are some people who are like, yeah, yeah, I want you to have like a... I want you to have that moment of triumph. This wasn't one of them. All right, so now they're discovering Bernie's corpse. Larry's popped the champagne. There's a lot of liquor in this movie, man. A lot of liquor in this movie. Um... to discover that, that Bernie is, is in fact dead. And what will happen with Bernie, especially as we see in the next few minutes of the movie, is that Bernie it goes from being the personification of darkness and the evil and, and the this, this symbolic figure of, of, the new, of the new villain to kind of the Shakespearean fool. Uh, you know, Shakespeare's fool, and, and this is me having taught Twelfth Night for a few years, and, and but I'm giving kind of a very abbreviated, very close-notes version of the type of character that that is. But the Shakespeare's Fool existed to, you know, tell jokes and, and, and get the laughs, but at the same time also point out either deliberately or, or directly or indirectly how the uh, the other characters are fools. 
point out the foolishness of those around him. Especially in a play like Twelve Night, where everybody's kind of acting all crazy. And that's what Bernie ends up being here. He he will his constant kind of capering through this film will sh- will point out how uh, vapid and ridiculous the society that he is in is. Uh, it will point out how dark and evil and villainous the mafia really is. As Paulie will come back several times, so it's a it's very much a. It's it's very much just kind of like how how Jay Gatsby's kind of parties and this tenuous association with people where none of them are really his friends points out how ridiculously shallow the society of the Roaring Twenties was or how selfish it is. That's what Bernie will start to show now that he is dead and and these and 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 what have you now but we need a better now these two are not social critics they're still the two guys who kind of wanted a little bit of an up on the corporate ladder we're going to need a reason for the two of them to pretend that bernie is alive I don't think Martha Stewart would recommend dying on somebody when you're going to host a party. It's it's not it's not considered very uh, it's considered uncouth. I don't understand why he couldn't wait till Monday to kill himself either, Larry. It's it is it's just very very rude. Again, Larry's selfishness and Richard's. My aim is true about it. Now, these two aren't stupid. Richard realizes that that they have no real story, except for we found Bernie dead, and they're going to wonder, we have something to do about it. Now, as I was mentioning, this is where the kind of Gatsby play comes in, and and Bernie kind of showing how shallow uh, that these people are, how vapid this society is. This is what's called the roaming party. And we have people who barely notice that he is there. Nobody in this entire sequence realizes that Bernie isn't saying anything, he isn't talking, he isn't breathing. They're just their heads are jammed so far up their own asses that that they just again they, they have no perception of anything that does not involve them. You could fill the room in this scene in a remake of this movie in two thousand thirteen with the casts of Big Brother, the Real Housewives of Orange County, or whatever, New Jersey, or whatever Real Housewives, uh, your average Bachelor, Bachelorette show, and, uh, well, Kardashians, and you'd have this scene playing out exactly like it is playing out now. It's just, this is, our culture has not evolved 
beyond what's what's in the eighties here. And and this is this cult showing this culture has not evolved beyond the twenties and what Fitzgerald was writing about in the twenties. Again, these people they're 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 fake, they're plastic, they have they have very little redeeming value and they don't even notice. The idea of a roaming party is, is pretty cool. I mean, we used to have around the world some progressives when we were in college. And of course, the all of the all of the typical 80s people are represented here. Here are the here are the uh, better living through chemistry workout guys. One with the, a beautiful beautiful winged mullet here, uh, like he's a like he's the lead singer of White Snake or something. We have the bikini girl. We have the the preppy guy. We have the kind of the we have, um, you know, the the recreational drug, the recreational drug use, and and all the things that typify the fast lane of 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 eighties life. And these two are just standing there in disbelief. And here goes Larry with, nope. I, I, Larry's, the, the hamster is running in Larry's mind, and he's like, we can do this. I don't know, um, how much acting Terry Kaiser was doing in these. Oh, man, that guy's hair behind him is awesome. That is some serious, serious awesome hair. Anyway, I don't know how much acting Terry Kaiser was doing here, or if they were using a dummy. Um, I don't have a DVD. I don't know if they've done a special edition Blu-ray of this. If there are deleted scenes or what have you, like I said, I'm working off of a VHS copy, which kind of, like I said, it makes it more authentic for the, the 80s experience. This is where Larry gets the idea. Again, Larry is further down the road of temptation toward the darkness that was burning Lomax than Richard was. And and the, the reason that, you know... Richard, Richard is la- Richard is the conscience of the two groups, of the two guys, and he's there's a lot of internal conflict. Larry's not evil; he's just Larry's just a schmuck, and Larry is just horny. Larry's Larry's the id. Richard is the conscience, and, and they're trying to again. It's the angel and the devil, and of course you'll get Gwen. Who, like I said, is is purity is is what needs to anchor Richard into not making horrible horrible decisions. Of course, he and he calls Larry out, and he just called him a disgusting human being. But here comes Gwen, and notice, like I said, notice how Gwen is dressed. Gwen isn't standing around with her with her with her tits flopping out in a bikini. She's not going to be rifling through Bernie's pockets for any blow. She's wearing clothes that uh, look like they came from perhaps the J. Crew catalog at the time, or the Lands End catalog, or LL Bean, or or something. It's very, it's I don't want to say conservative. It's it's preppy, uh, but it's definitely a little more buttoned up, or at least a little a little less. Uh, again, it's it's a little less of this sort of fake plastic. Um, overly tanned, overly teased uh, culture. (coughs) 
the guy who's negotiating the porch is the Porsche is, from Bernie is, is again is again one of those guys is like everybody wants something everybody is interested in you when they want something from you and that's a message that this scene is sending as well now here Richard has to make up for the date with Gwen and what happened She sees something here. She sees that that you know he's not he's not like the other guys. He's definitely not Larry. He's definitely not Bernie. And you'll see that they do they break away from the party. They break away from the life and it's again it's a symbolic breaking away that that she she's going to she's going to keep him out of the darkness. She's going to keep him in the light and she's going to she is going to uh help bring down this 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 terrible terrible place that that they're in or get them out of there now as much as that's just kind of played for laughs there with Andrew McCarthy hitting on a woman and her, just her just going, fuck off, Larry. Larry is not, like I said, Larry's not Bernie. Larry won't be Bernie. Um, but, kind of like how we know Luke Skywalker's not going to end up being Darth Vader. And, and most of Return of the Jedi, or at least the second half of Return of the Jedi, is him being tempted into the dark side. Uh, and being redeemed at the end by the person who um, was once part of part of the dark side in a, in a big big way and that happens in here you know Larry is tempted by the dark side and and eventually uh, you'll see at the climax of the movie that that there is a palpatine Vader type of face off uh, between you know the villains of the film. Um, I don't know about, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know about uh, biology. Uh, I'd have to ask. I think I've got a, I've, I've got former students and, and, and people who are, who are into things like forensics and, and, and what have you, but I don't know when rigor mortis sets in uh, and how long Bernie, it would take Bernie to start to smell really bad. And here's a great example, again, just to, to reinforce Gwen's, Purity here. Uh, that she's getting hit on by these drunk, skeezy guys who are like life of the party type of guys, and she just kind of gives him the stink eye and walks away because no, ew, no, she's not. She's not part of this. In fact, her parents. Her parents are the ones who got the job and what have you. They lived at the beach, and you know, so it's almost by association in a way. She's on the fringe and or on the kind of the outer stratosphere of, of this this orbit or so. And again, outside of the party, 
away from all this crap, and here's the girl. This is what you should be searching for, Richard. Not all of what's behind you. And of course, it's the beach at night. Oh, um, and they'll go to a lighthouse because I, you know, and it's a, it's a, it's the North Car the shot in North Carolina. So there's lighthouses everywhere. If if this were about 1993, 1994, I'd, I'd fire up Night Swimming by R.E.M., just in case you're wondering. I've always wanted to play that on the piano. I really should try to track down some sort of sheet music for that, even though I haven't played the piano in, in a very, very long time. I've always wanted to play Night Swimming. Maybe if I'd known how to play Night Swimming when I was in high school and played it for some girls, they would have been interested. Anyway... Perhaps the lighthouse symbolizes a beacon. A beacon to stay on the right path for Richard. And that she's bringing him here. Again, um, you know, if, if this is all about his trying to avoid the temptation of the life that Bernie Lomax led, trying to avoid become, becoming the evil that Bernie Lomax was, this represents all of his something that's trying to pull him in the right way and that and that that will also help pull Larry Larry's Larry's having a different struggle because Larry is already taken one step but he hasn't gone completely too far there is a lighthouse at the end of Long Island by the way not in the Hamptons proper uh out past the Hamptons in Montauk uh Still in operation. I don't think it's still operation as a lighthouse. It's now a it's now a museum, uh, and on the on the Montauk Point State Park property. I have a really cool print of it hanging in my bedroom. Actually, it's Montauk Point at sunset. It's gorgeous. It's done by a local Long Island photographer, uh, Bill Kenny. Now, being that Bernie runs an insurance company, I'm hoping that all of his employees have good plans. I mean, uh, but then again, this is the 80s, for, so for all you know, that this would have been a pre-existing condition. I don't know um, what the premiums were like. When you work for an insurance company, you're obviously getting that insurance company's plan, uh, and I could imagine that if you're working for, for Blue Cross, you're going to be on Blue Cross insurance. Do you get better insurance if you work for an insurance company? Or is it part of like an employee perk or discount that that you get some sort of break on insurance, um, or or they just kind of screw you over? I always wondered about that. The slapstickiness of this—it's innocent. It's—it's it's funny. It's in some regard. Uh, again, it's she's <laughs> Catherine Mary Stewart's character is not that is not the the skanks that Larry's certainly trying to uh, to bed right now in uh, in Bernie's house, and and they do a really good job of playing up the 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 innocence of it away from uh, 
away from from Bernie. Uh, just kind of like how Jordan, I think, is the name of the character that Nick actually gets involved with in Gatsby, and it, it's definitely a little bit removed. Uh, Gatsby, of course, spends the time going after Daisy, and there's no real Daisy uh, represented in this particular uh, in this particular movie. So that's kind of where the Gatsby Gatsby comparison falls apart. But then again, Bernie. Bernie wasn't like a really well like character like the way like Gatsby. Bernie's more of really is more of just 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 the corporate villain. Um what have you. Uh the the Marv Wolfman John Byrne version of post crisis uh Lex Luthor predates Bernie Lomax, but very, very much cut from the same mold. The guy who shows up every once in a while through this movie is the kind of the roaming drunk, and there's always one of those at the party. Um, you know it's a good party when there's some random person in your apartment or house who's completely drunk, and you have no idea where the guy came from and who he was there or what have you. I remember walking into my college dorm room one time going to get a beer from the fridge, and somebody sitting on the couch with... He might have been there with a girl. It was part of one of those progressive parties we were having one weekend, and he just—he's like, "Yeah, I think you need permission to to get something from the fridge or some shit like that." And I just kind of looked at him and said, "I live here." I, I did not need to see Andrew McCarthy with his shirt off, uh, although on some level, and this sounds going to sound weird. It's kind of nice to know that Andrew McCarthy, at least in this movie, is not built. Like, yeah, like, like you know, just there's there's a there's an over guys in movies are overly abbed nowadays. Like even comedic guys, it's like you know, here I I work out. All right, now here is uh. Here's the, here's the woman coming after him. Uh, she reminds me of Myrtle from Gatsby. I'm gonna say her name, Daisy, Daisy, Daisy. She gets smacked around. Although this is the this is the mafioso's girlfriend, who is gonna who talks with the most annoying accent possible. Of course, it's gonna kill him. Yeah, kill him if he's cheating on me. Um. And with every little decision, these guys kind of fall further and further into deceit. We have to see how how they're going to handle kind of you know the overall struggle that will be uh, them eventually having to do the right thing. Of course, at this point in the night, they don't really need to keep Bernie alive for the whole weekend. They just kept him alive through the party, almost co- accidentally in a sense. Because the party came in, the party was there for quite a while, and then the party left. Now there's really no reason for them to not just call the cops, at least in the morning, and say, hey, we found Bernie dead. And they'd actually have a good cover, because like, we were at the house, and we had a big party, and Bernie, you know, what have you. And, and Larry just said, yeah, she discovers the body, and she calls the police, what have you. Now... 
Uh, as I learned from watching Clerks, one of the few medical lessons I learned in life is the body can maintain an erection for several hours after its death. And uh, she, she does kind of look like Caitlin Bree. And, uh, well... She uh, she sees Bernie, and well, we see what is about to happen now. This is important because, like I said, uh, you'd think that the plot with this this struggle for for you know the mafia had triumphed here in its struggle over the corporate villain, but that's the mobster, the the, the spy. I can't remember his name. It's not Joey. Maybe it is Joey. I think it's Joey, and and he's seeing her up there for ten fifteen minutes uh, on Bernie. And and this is where the struggle will continue. That Bernie Bernie will come back, and Bernie will show you that that's this particular. You might try to kill the corporate villain, but the evil never really dies. And and so so that will f- set up kind of a conflict here. Well, she certainly wasn't screwing an Asian de- design major. She's very happy as well. Um, un- unfortunately, uh, you know. She doesn't. She won't know. <laughs> I think they all need a little bit of scotch right now after they just figured out what the heck she did. I will never forget my first time watching Clerks. My sister and I are sitting there on the couch watching this movie, and the we, Caitlin goes back into the bathroom, and and I just kind of turned to her. And I was like, and, and we hear the kind of noise as Randall's watching the the movie, whatever, and I'm like. That guy never came out of the bathroom, did he? And and that whole scene, just we were on the floor howling with laughter. Uh, that movie still makes me laugh to this day, which is which is a good sign for a comedy. There's not a lot of return on investment in comedy or long term return on investment in comedy. It's there are a lot of movies that that two, three, four times of watching it, the jokes get old after a while. You're not howling with laughter as much as you were, and and there are very few comedies that you can really sit through and, and laugh as hard as you did uh, the first time around. Dr. Strangelove I can watch over and over and over again. And again, we're furthering the Mafia plot here. The Mafia will not be denied its vengeance. Paulie's going to come back. And... And they will eventually discover... And we're eventually going to need more of a reason for Bernie to uh, be kept alive at this point, because you really could end the movie here. Now, Paulie is going to play into that, as is uh, the discovery that they will eventually make. But here we have, um, once again, they spared no expense. I can imagine that for this scene, they, they called up Henson, Jim Henson. Jim Henson was still alive. And, uh, and, you know, and basically asked him... Or, or had and worked with him on on the Muppetry here. It's it's just a because it's a brilliantly done done scene. And you know Henson wasn't afraid to do kind of darker, more edgy, more adult fare with with the Muppets. Uh, you know the Muppet Show really is has a, its adult sensibilities, and he did 
some weird, weird ass shit through the 80s, I will tell you. But yeah, here, I mean, this is a brilliant there. You can barely see the strings. And it's very appropriate that uh, I like the touch with keeping the flies off of him with the fly swatter because be, perhaps he is starting to, to to stink a little bit or he's starting to attract the things. Whenever you're going to kill a billionaire, you might want to dress up the, as the captain. Uh, I honestly don't see Tennille anywhere. But, you know, if you want to make um, money on the side by singing Love Will Keep Us Together in, in a Hampton Island nightclub before or after you complete your hit, more power to you. Uh, but it's very appropriate that they're playing Monopoly. Because, again, Monopoly being the the game where, where the richest person wins, the person with the most possessions, the most hotels, the most houses wins, the person who bankrupts the other people wins. It is, again, the symbolism in this movie is deeper and deeper and deeper the more I watch it. That being said, I've never won a game of Monopoly in my life. I'm the asshole who builds hotels on Mediterranean and Baltic. And for some reason always lands on like where my wife builds territories like on the on the on the magenta colored and orange colored properties. Like I can never ever escape that crap. Does everybody play the free parking way where you put the money in the middle? And then if you land on free parking, you get the free parking money. Larry stole a Rolex. Again, Larry is becoming more and more ensconced in this world. Richard still wants something uh wants something else and and, and Gwen is going to be their sort of uh Gwen's gonna save them, essentially. And 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 they're gonna help, and uh, and we'll see we'll see how that happens. Right now, Richard Richard's starting to wear the beard of evil, or at least the I haven't shaven this morning beard of evil. And uh, and and again, Larry just Gwen's the angel, Larry's the devil on the shoulder at this moment. And and at some point, Larry will be redeemed, but. But here Richard is tending toward his friend's side rather than the girlfriend's side. Again. Paulie's coming back to finish the job. And it shows the resilience of this new type of villain in our culture. It shows, you know, because Jay Gatsby was never a villain. He was shady, but he was more of a tragic character. By the time he gets to the 80s, Jay Gatsby has morphed into Bertie Lomax, into Gordon Gecko, into, into Lex Luthor, the, the corporate villain. And, and this villain will be hard to defeat, will be hard to kill, as we see in these scenes where Pauly, uh, in this case, we see Bernie attack Pauly. I mean, again... You are not, you know, Bernie is, Bernie's like, I will not die. And Paulie's like, nope, I'm going to, if I have to choke the life out of you, I will, I will be triumphant and we will retain what is ours. And, and again, it's the, the struggle of the darkness and the struggle of him to stay out of the darkness. Where again, 
with the symbolic beard and the unkemptness uh, versus you know her in the white. Uh, you know, it's 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 just all kind of right there for us, and 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 that this is all happening on a hugely populated island in broad daylight again shows how just selfish and vapid and 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 unaware this and fake and artificial and just terrible this society is because remember when Jake Gatsby dies nobody comes to the funeral except for like Nick and, and I think like when you're another person it's it's sparsely attended as opposed to the parties the roaming parties so much like Jake Gatsby nobody knows that Bernie's dead So here we get the reason that these two are going to have to keep Bernie away. And and again, like I said, it was important earlier that Bernie pick up the phone after the answering machine picked up. And on a lot of modern-day answering machines, that wouldn't happen. I don't think that they record the conversation as much as they used to, especially the digital ones. But th- these are this is a tape. So if you picked up the answering machine, you got the tape. You know, the tape was recording even if you picked up and you said so we record your conversation. And here these two are realizing that, that Bernie had set them up to be killed. So now they start to realize, they start to see this world for what it is. And they don't necessarily want it. I mean, the, their lives are more important. Uh and they they start to realize that they have to uh, they're going to try to get off the island at one point. Again, Richard, the smarter of the two, figures it out. Larry, of course, is worried about him being himself being killed and what have you. And again, the resourcefulness of our heroes here, they're searching through Bernie's office and eventually they are going to find the note. And true to character, Larry will be concerned more about himself than than Richard uh, will be concerned about, you know, the fact that they've got a ton of money and this note about how they were in love and Larry was going to get a sex change operation and 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 what have you. Again, Richard. Richard's the one who realizes that the, the, what's going on here, and he realizes that he needs to get out. He needs, he needs to to leave, and 
and set things right. Larry's just Larry's just up Larry's ass. But again, Larry's starting to turn around. This scene gives me the impression that the Hampton Island police are like that firm from small town security, you know, that show that we keep seeing clips of on the soup, you know, where the woman keeps wetting herself and all these things. Um, although Southampton does have its own police force, they're a lot more competent than than the small town security people. So Larry's the one who comes up with the idea to keep Bernie alive for a couple more days, especially since if Bernie's around... And, and again, Richard, having rejected Gwen, not completely, but kind of shuffled her off, is clearly kind of in with Larry's side. Again, he's still wearing the beard of evil, and, uh, and, and he's going to go along with this madcap plan, and eventually they're going to try to make his escape. Now they're yelling at children. Although, this was a trope of a lot of movies from the from the eighties. The sort of shithead little kid. Uh, there are a lot of little shits out there. To be completely honest with you, and he st- he has that. He has got the problem child haircut too. That's a movie that I can't believe I watched as many times as I did. Never saw two though. Thankfully, Bernie's dead, so vacuuming him off is not a uh, is not a bad idea. Uh, clearly, they're working on a dummy here. That he, in fact, they the dummy that they're using here looks like one of those Resusciani dolls that used for CPR. And remember, I said at the beginning of the movie uh, when they were in the boardroom that that Lomax looks like his, it looked like Terry Kaiser's hair was fake. Now I don't know if Terry Kaiser is actually bald, but they did a good job of it making it an obvious rug in in some regard. Moment of tension here. These two obviously feeling guilty for everything that they're doing. Uh, and, and, and Larry trying to remember... You know, again, the little shit. Little kid will appear again a little bit later. I just dropped my notes. So again, we've got to clean Bernie up. We've got to, we've got to, to, again, the illusion becomes important here. And just like, just like Gatsby, just like so many characters of this type, the illusion is very, very important. The keeping up of appearances, the making it look like you have it together, even when you don't, because that's what the fast lane demands of you. I had that wagon when I was a kid. So, so they're going to try their hardest to do that. But you'll notice that they're also going to try to get off the island. And, uh, which again, if they can get off the island, if they can get away from the person who's supposedly going to kill them, they'll, they'll be safe. They'll be safe, but they're going to do it while 
undertaking this plan of utter deceit toward Bernie Lomax, with regard to Bernie Lomax, as opposed to doing it the right way, which is, for instance, calling the police, explaining what they think is going on, and, and having things, you know, happen. But then again, the police here are not going to be very, very helpful. You know, Bill the Sheriff was out to lunch or something. So it's basically like, you know, you have to, sometimes you have to take matters of authority into your own hands. And again, the fast lane, the life of the 80s, the life of the ultra-rich at this point is people wanting things from you. Not caring about who you are, not genuinely being your friend, but people wanting things from you. And it shows, again, how just fake this all is. By the way, notably, uh, a lot of the, the synth music would have you was scored by Andy Summers, who I believe is a member of the police. And it really is, if you if you listen to the score from this movie, it's just one song that was essentially looped and and played with and reused here and there. So it's not like it's, you know, it's not like we have uh, Hans Zimmer or John Williams or somebody doing the actual score to the movie. Now, their first attempt is going to be to the ferry, but of course, don't forget, we have Bernie's boat. So they're going to end up trying to get Bernie's boat to take them off the island and to safety, but... Bernie's boat is as much part of of Hampton Island and and this dark society as Bernie himself is. So again, they have to find the right way out of here. It's like choosing the wrong path. It's choosing the wrong opening the wrong door in the maze to get out of the dungeon or to get out of the place. And again, here's Bernie making another play to show Polly who's really in control, who's really taking over, who the true villains of this day and age are. Polly thinks Bernie is dead. And Bernie is turning around and saying, no, you cannot destroy me. You cannot defeat me. being trapped in an island you know it's 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 very you know it's 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 like being in a cabin in the woods it's like being a camp crystal like it's like being trapped in your dreams that that there's always this sort of inescapable aspect to where you are uh when you are trapped uh when you are on a place like this i think if if they were in the hamptons proper they'd be able to get on the jitney and just get back into new york or they'd be even able to get back to the train and, and get back to New York City uh, within a couple of hours and, and not have to worry about whether or not... They could have left Bernie's body there. Uh, you know, because Bernie did, if they, if they were to do the autopsy, Bernie did die of a quote-unquote drug overdose or he was poisoned. And, you know, uh, so it, it was made to look like natural causes in a sense. But the island complicates things. So we get back, and we've got the two guys who could have been like them. The two guys who could have been 
helpful. The gardener, uh, the gardener, and the maintenance guy are going to come in. Uh, the two guys that Bernie was firing earlier and treating like terrible crap, and we see again. We talk about the path of righteousness. We talk about we talk about being true, and these two are at this point uh, have strayed, and where will they be? Where will they be uh, essentially redeemed, or where will they go in the right in the right way? Because these two could very well essentially dump the body and take over. And as we know that very often when you get rid of of, you know you get rid of somebody like Bernie and you take over what's the old the, the line from the Who Meet the Who new boss the same as the old boss. You know, the the corruptibility of people like Richard and Larry and and so that's not a knife. This is a knife. So anyway, let's get back to the uh, to the escape from the island on the boat because, again, it'll show it'll show how they can do this uh, very how hard hard it's or how easy it is, how it's not very hard to do this under the cover of complete daylight, how they are going to just basically walk out the front door with a corpse because all of these people are so self absorbed and when you let with when you live your life with your head up your own ass uh you're you're essentially this you know this just this, this terrible human being that that our culture for some reason celebrates and that's what the critique is in this film this why this film is begging the question why do we celebrate this culture of excess and 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 just and and superficiality. These two are obviously not part of it yet, because neither of them will have any idea of how to pilot a speedboat. And what we will get here is the second best boat pulling out of a boat running through a harbor scene in cinematic history. The best being, of course, Rodney Dangerfield in Caddyshack mowing through uh, Ted Knight's Ted Knight's boat. Ted Knight and Caddyshack is one of the best sort of slow burns in uh in in, in cinema. Uh the end the end where he has just completely come unhinged. Well we're waiting is one of my favorite favorite scenes. Uh Ted Smell's just such a great, great character. I kind of want to watch Caddyshack. Do I have a copy of that? I think I've got a copy of that. Again, if they really were part of the society, if they really had started down the, the path of the darkness, they would have known to untie the boat, the boot, the boat, because apparently I'm from Toronto now, uh, the boat from the dock, and they didn't know how to do that. Again, the stunt work in this movie was done very, very well. 
Uh, isn't there always that guy who's always yelling about, you know, giving you, kind of chiding you for not following the rules when you're, when you're somewhere like this, or what have you? Do you have the proper permit? It looks like it's less of an actual boat that, that he's piloting and more like a video game ride or something. But for all I know, they actually were shooting on... I knew they were shooting on location North Carolina, so they actually had McCarthy and Silverman in a boat for the entire uh, entire thing. I think that was the, the illegal... You're doing... You're being illegal guy. To be completely honest with you, so they got a little bit of revenge on him for for his uh, anal retentiveness. Again, everybody is is waving to Bernie. Everybody is going to be, and and again, their their horniness, their their desire for for this is clouding their judgment. I mean, yeah, they're doing the right thing by trying to get off the island, but again, it's clouding their... straining them from their tasks to the point where it almost kills them. And and here, again, another symbolic moment of how Bert, people like Bernie crush small people like this. You know, the, the average everyday fisherman guy getting run down by the, the rich guy's powerboat, speedboat. It's a war of the classes, really. Uh, the rich versus the poor, and what have you. You know, just as just as in the Great Gatsby, you know, uh, you had the Valley of the Ashes, which is now Flushing Meadows, by the way. So I always crack up that that when when my my friend teaches the Great Gatsby and we talk about the geography of New York, I've had conversations about geography in New York. Uh, we're talking about Long Island, and I talk about how if you're looking for the modern day Valley of the Ashes, it's Flushing Queens, so it's like the World's Fairgrounds and LaGuardia Airport and City Field now, as opposed to what it was in the 20s. You can thank Robert Moses for that. I know nothing about buoys. So, I I can't comment on the, on the nautical, nautical accuracy of the movie. I will say, though, that this this boat is is the Lamborghini of boats, so it probably doesn't get many miles to the gallon. It's probably going to run out of uh, fuel really fast. And they probably have no idea where they're going. You get that impression that these two kind of are lost. Like, shouldn't they be heading in a certain direction? I remember Fire Island. You head in the general direction of Long Island. Here, I don't know. Maybe they're just not really sure of where... where they're supposed to be going. They seem to be going along the water, but are they turning toward mainland? Are they turning toward safety? Are they turning toward, you know, where they should be? Or now are they cruising around? Well, now they're out of gas. But they can't get off the island at this point because Paulie's coming back and we need to have that that showdown at the end. 
I, I'm pretty sure that this uh, this scene where they're swimming on Bernie's corpse to shore uh, is some, is uh, a reference to Jaws, the end of Jaws, where Roy Scheider and Richard Dreyfuss swim to shore on the on the buoys and and boards and what have you that are left over from from the boat. So Paulie's going to come back. And Polly is the Emperor Palpatine of this film, as Bernie is the Darth Vader, and Larry is the Luke Skywalker, uh, or Larry and Richard are Luke Skywalkers, but Larry is, is definitely uh, definitely more Luke kind of you know these two fe- facing temptation, and and Bernie is going to bring about Polly's downfall because Bernie cannot die. Again, pointing out Bernie, pointing out the foolishness of all that is around him, pointing out the. The, 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 the evil, the, the ridiculousness of Polly and the ridiculousness of this idea that these people will still continue to hold the power that they do even though they won't and pointing out, you know, how silly these two were to keep this illusion up and pointing out the, the superficiality of society and, and, and here is where Gwen's greatest part comes in. She is finally going to yank these two onto the path of righteousness where they should be and they're going to come out as heroes as opposed to these bumbling fools trying some sort of huge cover-up. Mainly because she's fed up with what seems to be something screwy going on. And she likes Richard. You notice how Catherine Mary Stewart does not wear a bikini in the movie either. Again, Gwen represents purity. I think Silverman shaved at one point. Maybe that's a continuity mistake. Maybe he actually had the chance to shave. Maybe it represents that he's actually becoming really resisting the temptation. And again, Larry's the one who the jig is up. And previous to this, Larry wouldn't have done that. So clearly... Larry has Larry has kind of come over to the side of the good here, and we're going to need, you know, and, and that means that these two are ready to properly, properly win in the end. But not before we have the old shattering bottle gag. And here's the Palpatine Vader showdown. He has no use for him anymore. He put so many bullets in him. Whereas Bernie has essentially helped redeem these two, he has shown the true evil in this movie. And Paulie emptied his gun into him anyway, so it's really not going to happen. This one isn't. (laughs) 
And true to true to evil bad guys in the movies, Paulie's got the accuracy of an Imperial Stormtrooper. I kind of find it funny that Bernie would have classical music loaded in there, but I guess it's easier to get the rights to that than it is, like... And we'd be a few years before American Psycho at this point. And Manhunter used Inagata de Vida so well. Very much like Return of the Jedi, they have this showdown on a catwalk. Uh, you know... What have you. But but Larry's gonna need that moment. Larry's gonna be the guy who who eventually brings down Polly because or, or he's gonna need to be the guy who eventually brings down Polly because Polly's after him just like Palpatine was after Luke. But here is the Vader moment. Here is Polly getting taken out by Bernie. The swift kick to the nuts, just like Vader threw Palpatine into this dark horror, and Luke's gonna finish it off, or Larry in this case is going to finish it off with a phone cord. Kind of clumsily, but then again, Larry's not a CIA operative. So here we go. They made this fairly ridiculous looking. But then again, you never got the sense that McCarthy was very good at fighting, or Larry was very good at fighting anybody. And there we go. Silverman huddling in the corner with, with Gwen, and now he's got a lamp. The cord's caught up, and what have you. And... And what's cool is that a lot of fights, you know, end after one punch sometimes. And and Bernie, of course, again, getting the last laugh here. He is, you know, the one villain supplanting the other. And, and Paulie is essentially going crazy at this point because here's a man he, he drug-strangled and shot still having a hold over him. And now we are making our escape from Hampton Island in in a way that needs to be the way that needed to be done with with the police and the proper authorities there, uh, the right people there. The 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 gardener and maintenance guy are receiving the proper medical care. Bernie is in a in a body bag. Paulie's in a straight jacket. He's probably going to go away for a long time. Look how casual Bernie looks at that shot. So Richard is going with Gwen and Larry Larry's gonna oversee what's left of Bernie. Larry is you know kind of in the same way that that you know, he has to clean up. 
the caretaker of what's left, but you know that Larry's going to be okay at this point. The threat has ended. But, as, as I've mentioned, and as I've mentioned uh, many, many a time as we see Bernie roll toward them, And, uh, you know, and I know there's a sequel to this movie that would come later, and this doesn't necessarily set up the sequel. Uh, and I haven't seen the sequel, so I don't know if it's any good. But, uh, as we know, you know, evil never dies. And clearly it has not died here. And clearly nobody knows that this man is dead. Because they're all superficial, and they're ridiculous. And and it's it's a message the message being sent through this movie is that we should not emulate this culture. These people are horrible. And that we need to escape from our own Hampton Island. We need to to find our own path of righteousness and find our own Gwen and, and be happy with who we are as opposed to this uh, terrible, terrible human being who essentially just had a lot of things and and chase the American dream in a way that it was never meant to be chased. And it's kind of, like I said, kind of like Gatsby, just the, the dark side of the American dream that, that brings about the downfall of people who may have once been virtuous. And, you know, this couldn't have come at a better time. You know, this came after a couple of years after Wall Street, which was, which was a very good um, commentary on the culture of the time, but it wasn't enough of a send-up, because unfortunately there were so many people who chose Gordon Gekko as a hero, rather than as a villain. Here, Bernie Lomax, it's a send-up, it's a lampoon, and, and, and he is showing, really showing for what it was, the unlikability of this person, this life, this thing that we've led to believe is, is, believe is what is necessary for us to be happy and successful in life in the 80s. I think his name is Dick Butts. Um, and as you go into the 90s, where people, especially people around the ages of Larry and Richard, are more conscious and they're more uh, they're per- having more noble pursuits and things uh, in jobs that are more self-fulfilling than monetarily fulfilling. Now, granted, we come back around with the dot-com boom and we come back around with the with the housing boom of the 2000s, what have you. So everything's cyclical. But but that's why this holds up. Like I said, you could remake this movie, get a bunch of real housewives and Kardashians for this, this society in which they live, and you don't even have to change the plot. So uh, overall, uh, a really good piece of satire, a really, a really deep, deep film and social commentary that speaks to the problems of our society. And, and I can guarantee you that this movie changed lives. It changed outlooks and it changed lives. And people walked out of the theater th- thinking, thinking twice about how important the Ferrari was, the speedboat was, the big house was, you know, how important these things were, that maybe all this materialism isn't so good. You know, I'm not going to let this commercialism ruin my Labor Day. And and them just kind of taking their their sad beach blanket to a to a public beach somewhere off the coast of Long Island and 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 having to deal with with guidos and and and, and beach trash and and maybe jellyfish in the water. You know, that's going to be fine because cause my life's going to be my life's going to be okay.
So, as the end credits roll here, and like I said, uh, there's really... Jermaine Stewart performed the song that Andy Summers wrote. And I think Jermaine Stewart is who sang We Don't Have to Take Our Clothes Off. We don't have to take our clothes off to have a good time. Oh no, we can dance and party all night and drink some cherry wine. Uh huh. Na 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 na. Remember that song? Yeah, I think that was him. So you got me singing at the end here. But but that's that's Weekend at Bernie's. That is that is the social commentary of the '80s. That is a movie that that, like I said, it holds up. It is the it is the the new Gatsby, and and I'm I'm glad that 20 25 years later I can watch it and see kind of all the flaws in our in our worship of celebrity culture and all these things that that seem to be held up on a daily basis as I flip through the billion cable channels that I have, and and and, th- and I want to thank you uh, for for coming along for the ride here. Uh, next time around, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that I probably will be doing my coverage of Baltimore Comic-Con 2013 since this is coming out right around Labor Day and, and Baltimore Comic-Con is about a week or so from now. So until then, I'll have some stuff on the blog, check out some more writings and musings and what have you, and I hope you had a great summer, a great Labor Day, and thanks again for listening. You have reached the end of another episode of Pop Culture Affidavit. All music, clips, or other material used in this podcast are the property of their respective copyright holders. And as this podcast is intended for entertainment and I make no money off of it, no infringement is intended. Clips, pictures, and show notes can be found at Pop Culture Affidavit, a blog where each week I take a look at a random thing in the world of popular culture and give my opinion as well as personal experience and memories I have with it, which is located at popcultureaffidavit.com. Feedback and other comments about this podcast can be sent by email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and come back next time for some more pop culture randomness.